Metallica. Here they come, the kings of metal. Hey everyone, this is Tom Quee here from Alpha Metallica, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. My name is Kid. It's Kid Baby, Kid Rock. <laughs> my name is Clint. One of my favorite moments ever is Woodstock 99 when he comes out in 106 degree heat with a fur coat. And he has a cane and like a top hat or something. He like hands off his coat and his cane to a handler. Yeah. And then he yells, my name is Kid. It's Kid Baby. It's Kid Rock. And they launch into a stirring rendition of Bawa Taba. Bawa Taba, a Kid Rock classic, of course. <laughs> well, hey, this is episode 322, and we're going to get back into the 30th anniversary shows. We're going to talk about night three and uh, get into some emails, some news, honor some patrons. I want to talk more about Kid Rock. I'm going to disrupt this whole episode, by the way. That's totally fine. I mean, we can talk about Master of Puppets again if you want to. Right. I find Kid Rock a little more interesting today. <laughs> well... Let's do it, man. I'm just kidding. Let's get into it, dude. The 30th <laughs> anniversary show, show three. Again, the energy at these shows is just weird for me, man. It's just weird. I don't yeah. know why. I don't know why, but the energy is weird. Yeah, agreed. The crowd's exhausted. And what's so weird about it is it's these are like the coolest shows they've ever played. If you look at the set, if you look at it on paper. Yes. They sold the tickets for 20 bucks or whatever the fuck. It's deep cuts, guests for, out their ass. The vibe of these shows is just weird. I don't know if you agree. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I mean, we have talked about this. We've we've heard from people that were there that that also agree firsthand accounts that the crowd was exhausted. That, you know, the the whole intro stuff with the you know the Jim Brewer doing the name of that riff thing and all this stuff. It like all that went on for what like two hours at least before Metallica hit the stage. So people are exhausted, and it sucks because these should be the kind of shows that people are losing their minds over every time a new guest comes out and every time they play a song that's a rarity or something. Yeah. Well, they, people also waited in line for hours Yeah, every day to try to get in. All day, kind of an all-day event thing. And once you finally get in the building, then there's another couple hours of things that aren't Metallica. And there's weird energy on, on stage. Yeah. James's energy is weird. It's at times, like, great. It's he's He seems like he's at war with himself during all of these shows. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just a fascinating time capsule almost. Yeah, it really is. Sometimes he's snarky and sometimes he's kind of like mean to Lars. Then he's really sweet and self-effacing. His energy with Jason was kind of weird night one, real sweet night mm -hmm. three. He seems kind of scared of Danzig. <laughs> Some of the performances are really loose. I know they worked really hard. Some of it, and vocally it's really strange. He's lost a bunch of weight. You got Mustaine in the house. I mean, it's just... These shows are just very fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I would be curious to, to ask James about these shows, like how he felt about doing them, going into them, performing them. I mean, there's times where I get the vibe that he's like, can we get this over with? He says that at the beginning of this show. I mean, the, <laughs> this show starts with him walking out to the drum kit and playing the machine gun part to one. 
And he later said that, I'm just trying to get the fucking show started. Like, Lars is still putting his socks on. <laughs> and so he just walks on stage and starts playing drums. He's like, I know that'll get his attention. Right. And then they're, like, trying to play. We're going to do a whole track. Welcome to the show, by the way. My name is Kid. It's Kid Baby. It's Kid Rock. But uh, Hey, what's up? They do, like, two false starts on Suicide and Redemption. They, like, can't get the count right. Which, who can blame them? It's the second time they've ever played it. But James actually says into the mic, he's like, let's get on with this shit. Yeah. And you're, everyone in the room's kind of like, uh-oh, dad's mad. Yeah, he's audibly frustrated for sure. Daddy mad. Then you see him reel it in. Then you see him feel kind of bad about it. Like, I know what that's like as a dad. Yeah. You're a little grumpy or a little snappy, and then you, you feel bad about it because you're with your kids. You love your kids. Yeah, sure. And then he's like trying to be like, no, we're having a good time. I'm having a good time. He's like almost trying to will himself into it. Then he gets a little snarky again. Then he's like, wait, but I should... I'm responsible for these people. I should be cool. It's just, yeah. you're just watching all that play out for two hours at all of these shows. Yeah, it's very interesting for sure. What are the chances if you ask him about the shows that he doesn't give you a PR answer? I think the chances are very high that he's like, I don't really care to talk about that. We did it. It's done. Next question. Yeah. He's not going to tell you how he really felt about it. Yeah. Well, what about Kid Rock? Well, didn't Kid Rock do the first show? Yeah, he was, yeah. Horrible version of Turn the Page. Yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah, he he tried to do all this like Im- impromptu Aretha Franklin vocal shit and it was kind of like you know there was because the dude has a good voice and there were moments where it was great but listen we talked about that show and we're gonna talk about this one this is night three but we got some other stuff to get to why do you want to stop talking about kid rock well listen let's talk about kid rock some more i could i've got a kid rock story if you want it no i worked an mtv show years ago with him no i don't want to hear it um fair here's the thing he sounds good singing kid rock songs yes most people like you know there's a question in the emails coming up about like covers we want to see metallica do most people aren't great at covers because you usually sound better singing the shit you do because it's tailor-made for you. Right, yeah. And so when you're kind of trying something else on, it's just squarely. I remember seeing one of my favorite bands ever, Guster, who were known for their beautiful harmonies, beautiful mm-hmm. harmony singing with acoustic guitars. They did a cover of Two of Us by the Beatles. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, if you're going to, I mean, listen, we've done, we've recorded our own Metallica covers. I'm happy with them. I'm proud of them. But, you know, you got to really put some TLC into a cover to make it something special, you know, and you got to put it in the time. And, uh, you know, Kid Rock doing Turn the Page, it, it didn't, nothing landed to me. You remember when Cheryl Crow did Sweet Child of Mine, which I love her, but remember how her version just took everything powerful or interesting about that song and sucked it out into yeah. a fucking black hole? Yeah. And we love Cheryl Crow. Love her. Didn't land. Love it when she's singing her shit, but her doing Sweet Child of Mine, I remember watching that and being like, I just never thought that song could just have no soul. Or I know. It just got everything cool sucked out of it into hell. Now that now the Chris Cornell cover of Patience, that's real good. Have you heard that? Yeah, I think it's fine. More soul than <laughs> Miss Crow, that's for sure. I'd rather hear a Chris Cornell song. He yeah. did a thing too where he, he does the song One. He sings the melody of U2's One. But he's singing the lyrics to Metallica's one. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that one. It's crazy. Yeah. Now, that's putting some juice in there. Well, because he said he wanted to cover U2's one. And when he looked up the lyrics, it brought up Metallica instead. He was like, so I just decided to sing this song over this <laughs> melody. Right. <laughs> or, he, or he looked at it going like, man, I don't remember these being the lyrics, but I guess we'll go with it. <laughs> I remember the song a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was like an unrequited love song, but apparently this guy's like arms and legs were blown off. <laughs> Dang, man. This is wild. Yeah, he's imprisoned in darkness or something? What was Bono going through at this time? Right. She must have really broke his heart, dude, because all of his fucking <laughs> arms and legs got blown off in the war of love. Broke his heart and blew off his limbs. All right, let's 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 get into it. Let's just mix it up. I'm trying to mix it up. What do you think about mixing it up? You know me. I like hip-hop. I'm down with mixing it up. Here's the deal. Here's the news. Cliff Burton Day. It's the sixth annual Cliff Burton Day on what would have been, I believe, his 61st birthday. 
I'm going to read a little article here from blabbermouth.net. All right. Sixth annual Cliff Burton Day, as officially declared by Cliff's hometown of Castro Valley in the greater Alameda County. Continuing with tradition, host Nicholas Gomez will speak with Cliff's family and friends about their personal memories and cherished time with Cliff. These stories will bring you back to the influential early days with an in-depth look into the life, the times, and the location of an unknowing musical phenomenon. Interviews include Connie Burton, Lou Martin, Fleming Rasmussen, Mike Overton of Trauma, John Gallagher of Raven, Dean Dell of Violence, Brian Liu and Harold Oyman, Oymoyan from the movie book Murder in the Front Row, and photographer Gene Ambo, Castro Valley hometown friends Joe Cabral, Judd of Judd's Barn, I don't know what any of this is, okay. and Tony Martin. Their stories and memories of Cliff are not to be missed and are too in-depth to be shared in just one broadcast. You can watch this on the youtube.com slash Gomez Grip each Friday in February for the full-length interview from each of the guests. Okay. Limited edition Cliff Burton Day 2023 shirts are available for pre-order starting yesterday, which was February 1st, with 100% of proceeds going to support the Cliff Burton Music Scholarship awarded by the Cliff Burton family. Well, that's a good thing. By the way, how about how about Ole Mustaine playing that Dave Ellison bass in that clip? I know. You sent me and Paul that clip of him going over a baseline or whatever in the studio and it's he's playing the Dave Ellison bass which which was a total dig on him like <laughs> there's no way that's the only bass that Dave Mustaine owns well I didn't know that was his bass I just saw I was like oh Dave's like doing a little tutorial on uh how to play bass which I was like cool you know I love I love his playing and then I was just reading the comments and all the fans are like dude savage that's Ellison's signature bass yeah. he's playing the parts you wiped from the record yeah that's where he was you know unceremoniously fucking bounced from the band that he gave his whole life to yeah totally yeah and that, and and, and the, there's there's no question like if you're if you know megadeth then that is definitely the dave ellison bass i mean he, oh wait, really you would recognize it immediately oh right away yeah i remember when he was a pv guy and he had like a, a mirrored pit guard pv you remember that yeah the, the, yeah he used to well he used to work for pv at one point yeah in, in between his time in megadeth when he was out for a few years dude at one point when i played in demon hunter he was my rep yeah it was wild i would like text dave ellison like hey man can I get one of those whatever amps? And he was, he was cool as shit. Super nice guy. You're like, by the way, Rust in Peace rocks. Yeah, um, love Peace Cells. Uh, remember, remember Rust in Peace? <laughs> well, I've told you my story. When he was a rep for PV, I worked at a guitar shop in Birmingham, and we hosted him where like we set up his shit, and he came in, and he played he played like popular Megadeth songs to tracks. Yeah. And sort of talked about being a, being a rock star, you know? I mean, it was cool, but like I was sort of in charge of like helping him, you know, like almost like a PA. Yeah. And we didn't have a green room or anything. We were just a guitar store in Birmingham. So I went to go get him from like our warehouse area where we would like get shit in. And he was in the bathroom and he was screaming and he, it sounded like he was banging the trash can against the wall. Whoa. And he was like, ah, ah God damn it. And he was screaming <laughs> and I was scared to death, dude. And I, so I, I was like, uh, Mr. Ellison, you know, <laughs> we're, we're ready for you. I hear everything calm down in there. He opens the door perfectly normal perfectly fine he's like thanks man walks right by me wow but he was screaming at the top of his lungs in there and it, and i swear it sounded like he had taken the garbage can and was just banging it against the wall <laughs> maybe that's how it gets pumped up for a, 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 a in-store <laughs> that's his pre-show ritual he's probably dealing with some heavy shit now who knows you know maybe one day miss dan will come out and say like oh elveson before shows oh yeah he would destroy bathrooms that was his thing <laughs> i'm like mr elveson how do you play tornado of souls <laughs> or wait is that a is that a megadeth song yeah yeah that's probably one of the most famous ones tom quee says it's like one of the best songs ever written you, you be the judge lyrically but um that i will say this that is the most well-known and most covered and popular marty freeman guitar solo and it's badass oh. it's very melodic and very cool i love marty freeman i know totally 
All right, let's get into this shit. I want to thank you, say thanks to uh, some patrons, new patrons, Matt Diem, Tim McNerney, Allison Brookheiser, Andrew Lindbergh, and Danny. Thank you guys for supporting the show. All right. Hero comes along with the strength to carry on. That's true, man. And I've noticed that we've been getting a lot of people signing up for the Metal Tales since our last episode. That's right. I mean, how many people? We've probably gotten ten people signed up since the last episode. I mean, just in the last couple of days, like you know, you're you're forwarding me some. I'll get, see the emails, Patreon messages, whatever. So, I mean, it's starting to fill up. We had a little bit of a lull there for a second, but people are hitting us up, and we're having to either turn people down or sign them up as a backup in case someone bails. So, so hop on the you know hop on Patreon and get involved in this because it's going to fill up eventually. You're going to be on Metal Up Your Podcast, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll argue about Pantera. Maybe, on there. maybe we'll talk about screaming in bathrooms and kicking trash cans. Who knows? You can even come on the show and come to my ba- personal bathroom, and you can bang the trash can against the wall, and you can scream. Those are the kind of things we offer on Patreon. Just make sure that they do it after the home inspection. <laughs> Please, Before you God. move, yeah. <laughs> well, we survived all that, thankfully. God, we were like, man, what if they tell us that the roof's bad? Yeah, I know, man. That's $20,000. Yeah, I, I've, I've never sold a house to buy another house. Like when we bought this house, we were renting a place, so we didn't have to deal with any of that seller stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day, probably we will. But um, yeah, everything you've been telling me along this process has been like, damn, man, that is that is stress town right there. Well, we basically had to keep the house immaculate because people were coming to see it. Yeah, and we would get like a little alert on our phone that was like, so and so requested a showing at one p.m. and we have you have to leave. Mm-hmm. You have to leave your own home for a stranger to come in. <laughs> this happened on a Sunday. Isabel's out of town. Girls trip to Chattanooga. Had a good time. Had some jacuzzi time, I guess. I don't know. Went dancing with Julio. I don't know. Down at the schoolyard? So it's just huh, it's just me and Nova. And we had two showings. And we went to a bouncy place. You know what that is? Like a trampoline park oh, place. Yeah. It was awesome. I actually saw Joey from L. King's band there. Oh, nice. Because his kid was having a birthday party there. Awesome. I was like, wow, what a, what a small world. <laughs> People number one come to my house. And we have a key in a lockbox with a code. And the real estate agent knows the code. They come, they look at our house. And that's the other thing, too, is like just knowing strangers is just walking around your house and you can't be there. I know, man. And then we would get feedback where they're like, yeah, the studio is cluttered or some shit. I'm like, I I told our real estate agent, I was like, I can't hear any more of the feedback. If they want to buy the house, awesome. If they don't, don't tell me anything else because this is making me want to kill them. The things that are in the house that won't be in the house when I buy it are really bothering me. Yeah, I have an elliptical in my studio that I bought during COVID so I could be healthy without going to the gym so I didn't get a fucking disease I thought was going to kill everybody. Right. They're like, if there's an exercise machine in there, it's really big and bulky. I'm like, I'm taking it with me, motherfucker. (laughs) Seriously. What's wrong with you? (laughs) There's just too many guitars in here. So check this out. The first people come, they leave. God knows what they thought about the house. Second people come, my real estate agent's blowing my fucking phone up. I'm at the jumpy place with Novenator. And she's like, hey, uh, the first real estate agent took your key, accidentally left with your house key. So she was like, these people that are looking now, this is their third time in. I think they're really serious about it. I think they really love the house, but they can't get in. Is there any way you can go? And I'm like, well, fuck. This is going to, first of all, I just paid for the jumpy house. Yeah. So I, I gather Nova. They, they're they're going to let us come back to the jumpy house. And I'm like, well, then I've got to talk to the people that might buy my house, which is like super awkward. Like you just never talk to those people. Yeah, it's very awkward. I pull up three of them. It's like girlfriend, boyfriend, maybe mom or dad. And then they're real estate agents. It's like four people on my porch. And they're just smiling, nodding. I get out of the car. I let them into my house. We make some light pleasantries about the Titans or whatever. Mm-hmm. I tried to make them laugh, whatever. They ended up buying our house. 
Uh, hell yeah, there you go. But then, but so then I'm talking to my real estate agent and I'm like, so this other person took the key to my house and I'm starting to get paranoid. I'm like, what if they came in here and saw, frankly, all of my badass gear Yeah, and thought, maybe I'll accidentally take the key. Maybe I'll come back and rob this motherfucker. Yeah, you never know. You know what I mean? Yeah, or maybe sure. I'll just come in and play some sweet jams on one of his Les Pauls. I don't know what they're thinking. So then I'm hitting up my real estate agent. I'm like, hey, I'm feeling pretty uncomfortable. I'm like, when can I get my key back from this? Because I'm thinking maybe they went and made a copy of the key. Then she comes back and says, hey, the real estate agent, she feels horrible. She lost your key. <laughs> oh my gosh. She can't find it. She can't find it. It, it. She thinks it slipped out of her little pockety pocket. And you don't know if that's true or not. And well, let's just say it is true. So my house keys just laying around Nashville somewhere. Yeah. And she had to pay. We had to have every lock in my house changed. Yeah, for sure. And she paid for it. Good. But that just meant some guys in my house for two hours changing all my locks while we were making dinner. Yeah. Because some dumb dumb lost my key. Yeah. The moral of the story I'm gathering is that you should have just been the realtor in your own house because the second you showed up, boom, sold. I maybe should get some of that closing money. I mean, maybe. I mean, I mean, the amount of money that you pay a real estate agent when you buy and sell a house is really wild. It's pretty crazy, yeah. It's really wild. Yeah. But I will say, this girl that we've been working with, she's been doing a great job. I would highly recommend her if you, whenever, you know, if you want to cash in on that money. You're sitting on a pile of money over there in East Nashville. Oh, yeah, man. I feel like Scrooge McDuck over here. You're just swimming in it, dude. <laughs> I mean, I can't complain, man. We bought our house at a very cheap time in Nashville, and it's not a cheap time anymore, and our house is almost paid off, so. Yeah. You're in a good spot over there. Yeah, feeling good. Should we go to the email corner? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. All right, our first email is from Tyler Black. Tyler says, what's up, brothers? Well, let me tell you something, brother. So every few months or so, I always have an idea for an email, whether it be a question, top 10 list, whatever. But this time I'm typing an email... Um, I'm actually going to send. For the past two years, I've had a tough time. Trials of all sorts coming at me from every direction. But with the first recent release of Screaming Suicide and your subsequent episode of the song, it made me think about the last 24-ish months of my life and I really open up and speak about. From the warm welcoming of, uh, of my son to the immediate divorce that followed the, to the tragic loss of my best friend and Metallica buddy to losing my job of six years, it's been tough. But every Monday, as soon as I get the notification... The two of you are in my ear, and I listen up to every second. I've been listening since the third episode and felt connected ever since. Clinton, Ethan, you have been saving a saving grace for me more times than I can count as a brief escape from the constant thoughts I have running through my head. You two bring me joy, and I feel like I'm just taking uh, talking to my friends whenever you guys are t- uh, talking about our favorite band. Thank you. Also, here's a question for you. If the boys did another cover album like Garage Inc. and had some guest spots, what songs would you like to hear them cover, and who would you like to hear on those songs? This is Tyler from Marietta, Georgia, New Jersey. Man, I'm sorry to hear about all those difficult things that you're going through, dude. For sure. I'm glad we could be a part of, of making you feel better, but you got to hang in there. Yeah, man. You, know, you got to just hang in there because shit turns around and comes around and, you know... Things get better. Absolutely. And I would also encourage you, Tyler, to maybe try your best to find one or two other things that make you feel, you know, the other things that might bring a little extra joy in your life. Try to find those things, too, because it will definitely help. Check out a little rep- record called Devil Without a Cause by Kid Rock. That might make you happy. <laughs> Shoot. His name is Kid. He's a cowboy, baby. <laughs> that record had a lot of good songs. There's a lot. Of, I mean, he was late 90s 
in the early 2000s. I mean, he was massive. All right, so another Garage Inc. with guest spots. What songs would we like to hear them cover, and who would we like to hear on the songs? Do you have any thoughts? I would like, you know, I, I've always been partial to Metallica covering, like, punk rock stuff. Like, their Misfits covers I really love. Oh, yeah. Die Die My Darling. So I, I would love to hear the take on maybe a Clash song or a, or a... Well, they actually did some Ramon stuff. There was a tribute record that came out probably the early 2000s. I think it's called We're a Happy Family. They did a couple of Ramon songs on there. I just always love that the, the obviously the aggression of that music, the added aggression that Metallica adds in their recorded covers of it. And just Hetfield's delivery of those kind of vocals just always comes across great to me. I agree. Now, guess, um, I mean, there's probably some obvious ones, you know, like they had Gary, you know, Gary, Jerry Chantrell. Gary Tran- Cantrell. Jerry Cantrell on the on the last one for Tuesday's Gone. Gary, Gary Cantrell is Jerry's like uncle who still lives on a farm up in like you know the suburbs of Seattle. I think he might have moved to a houseboat. I'm not sure, but <laughs> he's in a houseboat <laughs> for sure. What kind of stuff would you uh, be interested in? I I think James might go into a you know maybe a country cover or something. Uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, they tended like they like to cover songs that influence them yeah. by bands that like influence them, and I. What I really appreciate about their covers is that it turns me on to so many great bands that I'd never heard of. For sure. You know, Budgie and, of course, like their that version of, of Last Caress and Green Hell, which we'll get into because they play that on this this night's show. But those are like, those are the versions of those songs to me because mm-hmm. that's what I heard first. Yeah. And I know I've mentioned it on the show probably a hundred times at this point, but that's how I discovered The Misfits was, was yeah. from Garage Days. Well, and also like, you know, it's the weird songs on there, like that Astronomy song, the Blue Oyster Cult song. Mm-hmm. Those are the songs I, I, you know, go to more than like the big, the turn the pages, the whiskey in the jars, even though I, I love whiskey. I think their version of whiskey in the jar is better than the original. Yeah, I agree. I could do without the Tuesday's gone. I don't think it really works, even though I love that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And we'll get into that too. I like the discharge songs. Yeah, those are cool. Um, the more I see, and what's the other discharge song? Oh, what is it? The, the, the medleys are cool too. Like the, it's not on garage Inc., but the Ronnie rising medley is really oh, cool. Yeah. A lot of great stuff in there, and then they do uh, they do the medley, um, the merciful fate, the merciful fate medley. That's great too. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, but we like we've talked about before, like yeah, garaging too. Yeah, that'd be fun, but I'd rather hear new Metallica songs, which is coming soon. Yeah, there were some rumors a couple of years back that they were cooking up another garage, a garage ink or garage days, and I it didn't excitement did not well up in me at that news. Yeah, did you have you ever heard uh, someone just sent this to me over Instagram the other day? It's a recording of them doing um, House of the Rising Sun. Yeah. I, had, I, I don't... I, they did it at the... Um, uh, they did it on, on one of the benefit shows with the Honeycomb video wall. Yeah, I remember I remember them doing that, like, the, the live stream thing, but I don't remember there being, like, um, an actual recording of it. Oh, you were saying they recorded it, like a studio recording. It's a record... Yeah, I'll send it to you later if you want to hear it, but we're not, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's an actual studio recording. It's like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. I wonder when they recorded that. I have no idea. No clue. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I love their cover of uh, When a Blind Man Cries. Yeah, that's a good one as well. And the the like OG Iron Maiden song, the Remember Tomorrow song. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, that's great. I guess I do like it when they do covers. But they just <laughs> always tend to cover songs I've never heard of, and that's what I kind of like. Well, because when you first hear it, you know, if, if you don't know who it is, you're like, oh, damn, this is rad. Or, or at least you know it's not a Metallica song, but you have no reference, you know, to the, the original. Yeah, like if they cover Boys of... Like, you know... Anyone covering Boys of Summer is going to kind of bum me out because the song is one of my favorites, such a great song, probably a perfect song, and the recording is just great. Mm -hmm. Mike Campbell, Don Henley. Yeah. It's got this great, that great 80s kind of ache. Yeah, for sure. It's like, you want to cover a great song, it's like, uh, it's like people, when they try to cover the Beatles, it's just like, uh, you're just not going to get close to how they did it, and that's, it makes it hard. Yeah. But when you do obscure stuff, it like, there's more juice in it for me. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. 
And I did a whole episode with Brad Blazik where we went back and listened to all the original versions of the Garage Days. Mm-hmm. I kind of prefer all the Metallica stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I mean, I love the Misfits, but I mean, you can't really mess with, you know, Metallica. That's the only one that gets close. But I'm talking about like the OG version of like Helpless and like Crash Course and Brain Surgery. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Metallica ones are better. I just wonder if, if I was like a budgie fan before I was a Metallica fan, if I wouldn't have liked it as much. Yeah. Probably I'm, so. I'm guessing so. If you go and wa- look at um, YouTube comments on Metallica's version of Astronomy, it's filled with... I didn't even know this existed, but filled with Blue Usher cult like freaks. Oh wow! And they don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. they're very protective of their Blue Usher cult deep cuts. Yeah, they're, 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 here, here's a random Blue Usher cult quick tangent: is that you know their two biggest songs, obviously "Don't Fear the Reaper" and a song called "Burning for You." Yeah. What's funny about those is those two songs are not sung by the main lead singer of the band. Yeah, it's like the band Fastball. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like well. You, you, your two biggest hits are sung by this guy. Why not go with that formula? <laughs> Wasn't some of that going on with the cars too? Uh, I don't know about the cars. I think there's some singing issues in the cars, like with their hits and stuff. Yeah, like, that Rick Ocasek didn't sing or whatever. But fastballs like that. The the one of the other dudes sings that song the way. Yeah, and he's not really the main singer. Right. Totally. Uh, I'm also thinking of um, I was just on the tip of my tongue. Uh, another band that just only had a couple of hits. Oh, um, the band Squeeze. The song Tempted. Okay. Tempted by the fruit of another. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's their biggest song, not sung by... Well, he, the lead singer sings like the second verse, and that's it. But the rest of it was written and, and sung by the bass player. I think one of the many reasons that Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley cannot stand Peter Chris is because he wrote and sang their most popular song, which is called Beth. Yeah. And I think they just never got... I think that... I mean, they could be petty kind of shitheads a little bit, you know? And I say that as a fan. I love that band. Yeah. But um, and Peter Chris is a mega shithead and an easy guy to dislike. But that's a pretty petty reason to continue hating him. Yeah, no, for real. Well, just because they feel like they wrote, you know, ninety nine percent of Kiss songs. He's off drunk somewhere, crashing his car and fucking his whole life up and fucking their band up. But he wrote this one kind of love song, I guess, and it like won a People's Choice Award. It's their most popular song. It was their biggest number one. So crazy. And he and so Peter Chris kinda always had that in his pocket and they just hated him for it. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'm betting they don't play Beth at all with, with their current lineup. No, it's worse. It's worse. They when they replaced him with a drummer named Eric Carr. Yeah. Who pat who passed away. Eric was a good singer also. They re recorded it with Eric singing it. Wow. Yeah. Well, that way, that way they're 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 cutting off the new recording. They cut off the publishing exactly. So then they would have, you know, they would have Eric sing it, and they kind of just tried to take it from Peter in a way. Wow, that's so wild! That's what a wild story. Just like you're 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 bitter at this guy for writing your biggest hit, yet you want to cash in on that those dollars that are coming in from it. So you have the new guy record it. I just think they wanted to send a nice little fuck you to Peter. Yeah, well, they definitely did. <laughs> you know, bands can really get into some like evil machinations, dude. Oh, yeah, for sure. Bands that you love. Yeah. I mean, I watch interviews with Paul Stanley, and I'm like, man, this guy's hard to like, but God damn it if I don't love these records. <laughs> I know, man. They've got some great stuff. Conversely, I don't think I've ever seen a Gene Simmons interview that I didn't like. Yeah. That guy is, I like him a lot. Funny, interesting, smart. Yeah, totally. Knows how to get people upset, knows how to get people talking. Doesn't believe half the shit he says. He knows exactly what he's doing in interviews. He's a <laughs> yeah. he's a pro. Whether you agree with what he says or not, he he's he's doing what he's supposed to be doing in that interview. Yeah, he's he's great. There's he's, there's no gotcha moment with Gene Simmons. 
he's just so funny and great. Yeah. All right. Anyway, our next email. By the way, I want to say thanks again to Tyler for writing in and, and saying such nice words. Um, all right. Steve Byrne writes in, hey, Clint and Ethan, I recently rewatched Get Him to the Greek. And while the movie makes frequent references to the fictional band Infant Sorrow's offensively bad song African Child, have you seen this? It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I'd have to rewatch it to remember the reference. I'd probably say it's a top 10 comedy. It's worth revisiting. Okay. In the movie, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the dude who, uh, Russell Brand. Yeah. He plays the lead singer of his, he's Aldous Snow. He's a rock star. Yeah. And he's mega successful and his band's called uh, Infant Sorrow. And he puts out a record that, he puts out like a St. Anger type record or like a Lulu record. And uh, his his lead song is called African Child. And <laughs> okay. it's really bad. Yeah. And so it's the story of him, his career kind of tanking. And this, like, Jonah Hill plays this old school A&R guy, but he's an old school fan of, like, the band's first record. And he has this great idea to, like, let's play uh, your first record. Let's get you back in touch with your roots at the Greek theater. Yeah. Problem out of snow is, like, a total heroin junkie. So uh, his job is to go get him, clean him up, and get him to the Greek theater. Got it. Okay, okay. And a lot of shenanigans ensue. Okay. Puff Daddy's in the movie. He's great in it. I got I to gotta rewatch that. It, it has been a long time. Uh, all right, Steve says, it made me wonder what fictional bands from movies and TV shows have actual good songs. There seems to be a number of amusing and silly songs out there. Almost anything from Spinal Stap, Scotty Doesn't Know from Eurotrip, and of course I can't forget Degenerated by the Lone Rangers from Airheads. <laughs> what fictional band actually has the best songs? I really love Stillwater from Almost Famous. We were just singing that the other we night. We were, yeah. Fever dog. Scratching at my yeah, back door. He says, what do you think are some other good examples? Well, I think the best fictional song ever is that thing you do from uh, that thing you do a hundred percent that that's an incredible song written by adam schlesinger yeah r.i.p by the way r.i.p rest in peace um died of covid yeah one of the first like musicians that i looked up to that that, that affected um another one i can think of that there's this whole soundtrack has fucking awesome songs was josie and the pussycats yeah that's good too i, uh, I can't remember adam schlesinger might have had a hand in that one too but that i remember the artist biff naked yes she's like a big writer and stuff and she wrote a bunch of that stuff there's one on there uh, uh why do you do what you do to me baby can't, uh -huh. can't remember if that's the name of the song but that's a listen to that soundtrack sometime there's some killer songs on there i'm gonna have to also go with crucial taunt dude why you wanna break my heart hell yeah dude uh, crucial taunt was awesome <laughs> crucial taunt <laughs> crucial taunt dude who's playing tonight uh Crucial Taunt and the shitty Beatles. <laughs> the shitty Beatles? They ain't good? He's like, nah, they suck. They like, suck so it's man. not just a clever name then. <laughs> Interesting question. I got to give I gotta give it up for that thing you do, though. That is the per one of the most perfect songs ever. I know. It's pretty wild how good that song is. He says, also on a more serious note, I really appreciated the discussion you had towards the end of your last episode with Brad Blazik. I'm about the same age as you guys, and I really connect with the conversation you are having about aging parents trying to cope with the inevitabilities of life. As we and our loved ones grow older and we navigate changing roles in our lives. In my line of work, we talk about issues like this all the time. And it was refreshing to hear your realistic but still optimistic and hopeful takes on these issues. Steve Byrne from Rochester, New York. Yeah, that was a very existential Metal Up Your Podcast episode. I really I really loved that we had that convo, though. Because that's not a common thing to happen on a show like ours. But uh, we went deep, man. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we went from Brad driving a Lowe's truck off the side of a cliff to talking about, you know, the end of our lives. <laughs> That's what we're here for. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I did too. Yeah, of course. I love getting into combos like that. Well, thank you, Steve Byrne, for writing in. We appreciate it, dude. Next email is short and sweet from Joe Zappi. He says, good day, how do? Here I sit and write to you something fun for you this week. You can save one song from each Metallica record and the others get deleted. What stays and what, what gets the axe? Thank you for your time, fellas. Joe Zappi from Walkertown, North Carolina. All right, let's just hit it. Let's just hit it together. All right, kill them all. If I can only pick one song from Kill 'Em All. Uh, 
I'm going to take The Four Horsemen. I'm also going to take The Four Horsemen. One song from Lightning. I am going to take... Ooh, I would hard. Think, I would think you would pick Creeping Death. I'm going to have to take Creep, although I, I'm tempted to save the song Ride the Lightning because it's just so much going on there. There's so many great parts, but I'm going to have to take Creep. What about you? I'm going to take Fade to Black. Yeah, damn. That's why Lightning's my favorite, dude. <laughs> Lightning is fucking stacked. I know, man. It really is. Master of Number three, Puppets. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, the obvious choice would be to go with the, the title track, but... Puppets, um, yeah. Of all... I, I, if I'm going to only pick 10, or I guess we could pick 11, there's two songs to choose from from 72 seasons, but... I'm going to go with Orion because I want an instrumental. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's a good choice from Puppets. Man, I'm going to have to say the song Master of Puppets. Yeah. I know that's not a very interesting answer. But, the, but, but the, I mean, to me, those those would be the two, like, man, one of those two, got to pick one of those. But um, what about Justice? I think I got to pick one. Yeah, I, 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 I was when I was reading his email earlier today. I was like, man, one would be the obvious choice, but the hard one for me, I'm gonna, ha- I mean, I'm gonna end up choosing it is blackened. Maybe blackened. Yeah, that's those. It comes down to those two. It really does. Yeah. Dang, this is harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> right. All right, black album. Uh, Ooh, I'm going. Unfor- I'm gonna take Unforgiven sad. right away. Unforgiven. Yeah, I'm gonna take Sabbath True. The only other one I was I was thinking of was maybe My Friend of Misery, but I mean, Unforgiven, you just can't really fuck with. So I mean, I agree. That's I mean. Black Album's a masterpiece. Okay, Load. Mm, I'm going Outlaw Torn. For me, it's between, shockingly, I'm just saying this as it's occurring to me, it's between Bleeding Me and Until It Sleeps. Mm, That's good. And I think I gotta go Bleeding Me. Yeah, okay. Until It Sleeps would be be a great choice, too. Yeah. All right, Reload. Reload? um, I gotta go Fixer on that one. Fixer? Okay. I'm I'm gonna go Memory Remains. Killer. I was thinking today about just how fucking great Fuel is. I know. We'll talk about it when we get to the Newstead portion. Totally. All right. What's after? Saint what's Ang- after? Saint Anger. Oh God. I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna go with the title track, Saint Anger. I'm gonna go. I, you know, my favorite song from Saint Anger for so long has been "Dirty Window." Yeah, that was. I, I was thinking that as well. But I kind of, kind of been taking a shine to my world. Okay. But I think I would have to go with "Dirty Window." I got to just honor. I got to honor my journey. Okay. Okay. Death Magnetic. Okay. Death Magnetic. One song. I'm guessing yours is Unforgiven 3. It is. It is Unforgiven 3. I'm going to have to go Judas Kiss on that one. Okay. That's a great choice. I was thinking... Long-time uh, Judas Kiss fan. Okay. I was thinking Judas... Uh, sorry, uh, Unforgiven 3 or my other one I was thinking of would have been End of the Line. Man, End of the Line is so good. I know. It really is good. Death Magnetic is fucking wonderful. It's awesome. Okay, Hardwired. Hardwired. I'm taking one song from Hardwired. I'm going to take Shooting from the Hip, Dream No More. I'm going to go Moth into Flame. Damn it. Moth is so good. Moth, yeah, or Halo on Fire would be great too. Hey, were they playing Moth at any of these last handful of shows? Did Moth is Moth gone? Uh they, I'm, yeah, they haven't. I don't, I don't think so. I don't want to be. I don't get Outlaw Torn again, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> the only way you could get Outlaw Torn is if you said that Moth wasn't on Hardwired, and then I was like, hey, you may want to double check that, and then you went and checked, and then you're like, yep, it's not on Hardwired. Yeah. Self destruct. Thought it was. Must have been on. Must have been a uh, B side. <laughs> and then we don't know enough about seventy two seasons. All right, I, 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 more questions though. You can pick one song from S and M. One song from S and M. I'm No Leaf Clover. Oh, for sure, answer. for sure. I mean, I'm not even harping on your whole Outlaw Torn thing, but I would probably take Outlaw Torn. That's a great performance. It's just the best, man. It's like the definitive one. Yeah, for sure. There's a there, if you go, you know, they did four of those S and M shows. They did one at MSG, two in in Berkeley, and then one that they did in Germany. I think, right? Maybe Munich or something. The New York MSG version is worth looking up on the old YouTube's. All right, I'll check. That it's out. got its own kind of 
sauce. I don't know if S and M two is gonna stick for everybody. I, I don't. I don't listen to it. Do you ever listen to S and M two? I listened to it in its entirety the day that the vinyl showed up in the mail because I rem- I remember specifically my wife was out of town. My buddy Brett was over here. We were hanging out, grilling out back, and it showed yeah, up. Yeah, that's like two years ago. Exactly, that was. And, and I mean, you haven't listened to it since. I've listened. I put it on one other time, but here's here's where I I, I get hung up in, on that record is there's like four tracks of like just the orchestra playing stuff, and it's very beautiful and very well yeah. done. Tip of the hat to all those people. It just it goes on for way too long, and I remember thinking that in the theater too. Yeah, I did too. You know, but um, it, it also it's just you know when when the first S and M came out, man, it was so exciting and new, and no other metal band that I knew of did something like that. <clears throat> and so I just really think they should have done a completely different set list. Yeah, like it. It's just weird that they did Cthulhu again. I just I'm going to listen to the first one. I really was hoping before we heard anything or saw it in the theater. I was really hoping and crossed my fingers. That they were gonna instead of Cthulhu, we're gonna open with Orion. One song from Garage Inc. And let's just let's just make it easier on ourselves. We'll do a disc one and a disc two. Okay, disc one. So one song from disc one. Disc one. I'm going with the Merciful Merciful Fate medley. Yeah, you're getting the most bang for your buck. Most bang there. for your buck, exactly. And then disc two, I'm gonna probably go with um, I'm gonna go with the Misfits covers. Yeah, I was gonna pick. Uh, well, they do a Misfits cover on disc one. Well, that's a different one. Because yeah. this too has the the garage ink or garage days stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm yeah just sorry, saying. sorry, I'm sorry. And then I'm doing. I'm, I'm going last crest green hell from disc two. Yeah, I'm gonna do astronomy from disc one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do uh, last crest and green hell also. Cool from awesome. disc two. Although Blitzkrieg is up there. Blitzkrieg's up there. Bread fans in there. Ah, bread fan. Mm. Yeah, I gotta go with bread fan. Shama nama do shama bread fan. <laughs> open up your mind, open your yabba dabba dabba do, yeah. You the could, yabba dabba do, yeah. You could do yabba dabba do. Bread fan, yabba dabba do, yabba dabba do, yabba dabba do. <laughs> yeah, I think it was actually written in Bedrock. It was written in Bedrock, yeah. It was recorded at Bedrock Studios. Uh, I think I think um, F. Flintstone was his name, was the engineer, producer. Right, yeah. right. Okay, last one. Um, and I guess this might even be redundant. Garage Days re-revisited. Garage. I guess I'm going to still go with the Misfits covers. Yeah, I probably would. I mean, I love Helpless. Um, yeah. Crash Course is fun. The wait, I mean, they're all great. I love the, yeah, the, they're all pretty the good. weight's awesome. I love that chorus of just that reverb out vocal that they put on James. Yeah, it's creepy. But, you know, yeah, I'm going to do the Misfits stuff again. Um, that was a fun exercise. Thank you, Joe Zappi. Daniel O. Good day, how do? Proud to say I finally... Cast my alms into your digital collection jar. He's become a new patron is what he means. Hell yeah. Uh, I've skirted the jar until now while it's been making its rounds in the pews, letting others pay for the maintenance of my church. But I've had enough of hanging my head in shame and avoiding eye contact with the priest, hearing your angelic interpretation of yet another one of my hastily and immaturely crafted letters last week was the final straw. Anyways, to add to last week's discussion about lyrics, why do you think there hasn't been a Metallica song about bees? <laughs> is Het still keeping them? Wouldn't they make an awesome subject for a metal song? Think about all the guitar effects and soloing you can do to bring their flight and buzzing to life. I can hear it in my mind already. Bees are truly weird. They do in-air communication through hormonal secretion and employ some kind of hive mind. In fact, here's a challenge. If they won't do it, you do it for one of your projects. <laughs> wow. Also, uh, uh, which by the way, I don't know if he's still keeping bees. Um, I haven't heard him do any bee talks since Hardwired came out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd imagine you still got some hives chilling. I mean, you know, bees kind of take care of themselves. And <laughs> I think he's also the kind of guy, I mean, he's an addict. So he's the kind of guy who puts a lot of his energy into stuff, you know, to occupy his mind. And yeah, his time. yeah, a lot of projects. And I think people like that kind of move move from project to project. Right. You know, his, his, his car book, 
right? Yeah. He had the carb stuff. Right. He had the bees stuff. I know he's I know the man likes a nice cigar and he likes a nice fire pit with his buddies in Colorado. Exactly, yeah. All right, he goes on to say, also, what are your thoughts on hosting gigs in people's living rooms? We did a little bazan talk last week. We did. He says, there are some websites doing that in the UK. Perhaps you have something similar in the new world. 15 to 20 strangers in your house sitting on the floor standing. My friend works for an agency booking artists and venues for this thing, and my wife thinks we should host one. You don't get paid, but it would be cool to have live music in the house while supporting local artists. On the other hand, we have animals, and also, who are these people? What if they steal my Pokemon collection or use my toothbrush? <laughs> I'm also worried about bathroom capacity. Love, Danny from Brighton, UK, New Jersey. Well, I, I've never hosted a house show at my house. I would imagine if I did, it, I would tr- just try to make it all my friends. Yeah. But realistically, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna be a host, you don't know who's coming. I went to a house show on a day off from tour one time years ago to see an artist I like named Rocky Votolato. And it felt weird as the as the guest, as the attendee, to walk into someone's house in like a normal suburban neighborhood. The dude opened the door. He's like, "Hey, what's up, man? Come on in." Like super cool. He's like, "Coolers a beer over there. We got some snacks over there." It was like, okay, but it's, it it was still weird. I didn't go use the bathroom. All I did was I watched the show. I went and bought a vinyl record at the end of it, and then I bounced. I've been to like three or four of Bazan's house shows. Yeah, and they were all weird. Yeah, I mean, great great songs it's like a trip to see someone sitting that close singing those songs yeah for sure but yeah like no amp no pa just acoustic guitar on a stool yeah i mean i really enjoyed it i really did i mean but there was a bit of uncomfort there because i was in someone else's house and but they had the way they had it set up it's like you the second you walked in the door you're in the living room where the show's happening and then there was a table basically blocking off like where the kitchen and other parts of the house were, and that's where like the merch was. So you really you were confined to one room and a bathroom. That was it. I did a Matthew Mayfield tour. It was like a normal club tour, but one of the shows, it was like an anchor show because it was like a private, it was like a house show. Yeah. And we had the full band. Wow. And it you know it was in a nice place, and it was basically just these rich people and their buddies. And uh, it kind of paid for a significant chunk of the tour. Sure. And we stayed there that night, like in their kids' like bunk beds. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I mean, I was I wasn't a young man when I did this. this yeah, was yeah. like I was like thirty two. Yeah, I I played a, a solo house show with a friend of mine up in Ohio one time, and I felt really weird going in. The, the host and his wife were super cool. There was like maybe twenty people down in their basement, and then me and my yeah. friends stayed in the basement that night. <laughs> <laughs> and this wasn't in my twenties. This was like. Four years ago. <laughs> I'm told that your friend is still in that basement. I think she is. She might be. <laughs> they just never let her out. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Cool. Thanks, Danny. Chad Pollock's up next. Yeah, Chad Pollock. He says, hello, my good gents. Thanks for reading my name last week for being a, a, a patroneer. PayPal was being a bit, dif- a, bit, a bit difficult and wanted to kick me off the ride. So the only way I could keep on the ride was to jump off, buy a new ticket, and jump back on. Easy to do. Jump back on and hope that I, it didn't lapse with my metal coverage. Anyways, on your topic of top 10 bands, here's my unsolicited list. Number one, Clutch. Number two, Metallica. Number three, Quaker City Nighthawks. I've never heard of them. Number four, Van Halen. Number five, Extreme. Number six, Rat. Number seven, The Temptations. Number eight, Tesla. Number nine, The Darkness. And number 10, St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Those are some Birmingham boys. Yeah. Uh, he ends by saying, I'll spare you the list of my favorite individual artists. Thanks for kicking ass. Keep it up. Chad Pollock from Boise, Idaho, New Jersey. Well, that's a good list, man. There's a couple like out of place ones, I would say, or at least the Temptations, you know, in between Rat and Tesla. <laughs> you know, Quaker, do you know who the Quaker City Nighthawks are? No, I don't. I don't know who Clutch is either. Clutch is, um, they're kind of stoner rock. Um, Ooh, they've got some. 
jammy stuff in there. They, they've got one of those cult followings. Um, my friend Nate Bergman, who you've met a bunch, um, when he was in his band Lion Eyes, they would open for them a lot. Uh, so I've seen Clutch a few times going to see the Lion Eyes boys. But um, really cool live. I, I dipped into some of the records and didn't quite connect as much as I, I, I thought I would because I really enjoyed it live. But uh, I might have to give it another shot. I really enjoyed meeting and hanging out with Nate. He's awesome. If he's in town, I'm guessing we're going to see him in DC if, coming up. As long as he's in town, I actually I think he's going he's going out on a, a solo tour opening for Clutch pretty soon. With a, he's doing his first like full band tour. He, he's been going out just acoustic by himself, but he's incredible uh, musician, singer, songwriter. And I hope he's in town in DC when we're there. I'd love to see him again. All right, thanks, Chad. Ted Oberlin, this is the last email before we burn down night three. All right, of the 30th anniversary shows. Dear Clint and Ethan, hello, lads. You gents have a great way about you. That is, you are articulate in your thoughtful breakdown of music and have a lovely sense of what it means to be behind the music and all the work that goes into it. As professional musicians, which that these are his words. Those are his. Yeah, we didn't just say that. I'm done describing myself as a professional musician because I feel like I do it every 30 seconds and some little some little listener out there gets butt hurt. So I just want to reiterate, this is, these are Ted Overland's words. Ted Overland has spoken as professional musicians podcast makers and much more you bring a refreshing air of humility that makes your episodes very approachable i really appreciate your authenticity your lust for life and music and your wittiness that just has me chuckling along with you as i listen in with a big smile shit you guys are dispensing joy how about that thank you dispensing joy awesome he says so i first saw the boys in 86 opening for ozzy which could you imagine being able to see that tour would have been amazing that's that's in probably top five of like you could get in a time machine. I think the opening slot Aussie puppets arena, their first like arena thing, yeah, would be one of the shows I would want to see. Absolutely, and, and them at that age and that era with Cliff too, like with Cliff, I know. And if and if it included being able to see Aussie, who by the way just retired from touring, just retired. Yeah, I I, I read his statement just this morning. Apparently, he he had an accident not too long ago. He's had some spinal issues. I mean, the dude's seventy four years old. Good on him for wanting to keep going, but he tried. I mean, he's he's canceled shows the last like couple of years. He's seventy four, and let's face it, in his twenties and thirties, he fucked his body up. Oh yeah, that motherfucker was hitting it hard. Oh yeah, for sure. The stories about Sabbath are fucking legendary. <laughs> I know for real. It's kind of shocking he's still kicking. All right, so he says he saw him opening for Ozzy in eighty six. He witnessed them another thirteen times since then, including the nineteen eighty eight show in L A. on the Monsters of Rock tour, where all hell broke loose as thousands rushed to the stage, as well as three shows in Europe last year, both nights of the 40th anniversary shows, and recently at the All Within My Hands benefit gig. One big highlight was in the Netherlands last year at Pink Pop, where I was able to be in the Snake Pit. Which, by the way, we're going to be in the Netherlands on my 40th birthday this year. Hell yeah. We're going to toke so much ganj that day. <laughs> <laughs> if we're in the Netherlands. Are we going to toke 40 ganjas that day? Yeah, and so, you know, instead of 40 spankings, you got to take 40 hits off of a bong. <laughs> I feel sad that I'm not going to be with my family um, oh, for, for such sure. an important birthday, but it is going to be fun to be out there with my road family. With your road fam. That'll be awesome, dude. Some incredible memories from that evening. Everything from the boy James gave a pick to with such meaning as he folded the boy's hands together with a gentle Hetfield paw embracing his hands. He says, I took a picture with the kiddo with his dad's permission after the show. He says, to Rob hamming it up with the crowd, leaning into a super fan's lap to the rain of ash from fireworks. I'll be in L.A. for the M72 weekend shows, and I think the Metal Tail slot is spoken for 
but I'd love to share about any other show I've been lucky to witness someday with y'all. Is LA covered? I am looking right now. I know Edgar may have thrown his name in the hat, but I think Edgar's going to do the Mexico City shows. Yeah, uh, yeah. unfortunately, uh, both LA shows are taken, Ted, but if you want me to throw you down as a backup, no problem. Well, it's sad Ted is a backup right now while we're thinking about it, and I also want to remind the listeners that um, the Metal Tales, when the boys are not touring is completely open to past shows. Right. So, so Ted, if you want to talk about Metallica in 86, no problemo. I would love to hear the details of that, or whatever can be remembered. I know, totally. Okay, he says, My vinyl collection of Metallica is pretty cool, but I recently bought an old cassette player and listened to an old bootleg of a seriously old show of the boys in Europe, circa 83, where they do the Metal Up Your Ass chant with the crowd during Metal Militia. <laughs> pretty cool. James's ability to entice the crowd was in full form, and Cliff does some rad jammy stuff shuffling along the grooves smoothly. Also, the other day, I listened to your show from just over a year ago when you went through the blacklist and picked out tracks to get into on the show. It was super fun listening with you guys. You're both very relatable, not just as Metallica diehard fans, but as human peoples with human thoughts and feelings. There were a few times I really did laugh out loud as you guys tried to make sense of Portugal the man's version of Don't Tread on Me. The clanky <laughs> clown noise is just a head-scratcher. And I lost it when I heard Clint laugh at it. Happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> Much love to you guys. You're amigo. Ted in Oceanside, California, channeling new joysy for sure. And then he has a PS. We got a little postscript. Awesome. Happy to be back on board the Patreon train with you guys, which, by the way, people hop on and off the Patreon all the time, depending on their life circumstances. That's right. And me and Ethan are just glad to have the support in whatever way it comes. Agreed. Um, I met a really nice dude named Jim at our Key West gig this last weekend who is a big fan of the Bob Schneider podcast I do. Oh, awesome. And he was like, man, I had to get off the Patreon train because I'm a musician. He was playing the festival we were playing. He's like, you know, when the gigs dried up. And I'm like, hey, baby, you don't have to you don't have to say any of that to me. I'm just glad. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you were able to support us when you could. That's all that matters. Um, so Ted says he's glad to be back on the train. I was on, let's see, I was on a Metal Up Your podcast hiatus for the last year-ish due to some perceived malfeasance against what I stood for floated into my brain. This guy's got away with words here. He really does. He says, I'm in a remarkably better mental state now that I've been in nearly 30 years. Not to pull a tangent city myself, but I was so tightly wound up on psych meds that I couldn't step forward or outward in life without incredible fear of being misunderstood or hurt. The lyrics that come to mind are wrapped up tight, cannot move, cannot break free. Meds may be part of my future and very helpful and even life-saving to some, but I'm so grateful to feel simply grounded right now. Well, that sounds like uh, quite a lot. Big transformation. Yeah, man. Got it off really some does. meds, got cleared up. I love to hear it. Love hearing that, dude. He says, wow, I hadn't heard Ethan's rated R voice. So good. Give us that rated R voice. Rated R. <laughs> it's been a while. It like sounds mixed and mastered. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's not the unmastered version. It sounds like in the end of a vocal chain that would be like in a video game or like a computer game or a movie. Right. It is something that my friend Josh and I have done since literally high school. It annoys the hell out of anybody we're around, especially our wives. But yeah, yeah, we, we did a joke back then because you used to call movie phone. You would call movie phone to get like showtimes. Showtimes, exactly. And it'd be like, now playing Halloween 3, rated R. It so. is so creepy to see you do that because <laughs> I'm watching your mouth open and I'm hearing the sound. But it sounds completely disembodied from you. Like I'm, like I have it as a sample in the uh, in the magic box, or like you're like a fucking ventriloquist. It's like really creepy. <laughs> Maybe I should get into ventriloquism. Well, so he loves uh, your rated R voice. He says so much happening in the last year or so. He says, Clint, you have such a warm way about you, which I don't know if anyone has ever said that about me. <laughs> he says as you chat with a listener over Metal Tales from Florence to 2022, 
By the way, James may not have emoted as much as the listener mentioned, but he very deliberately stated during his spoken words during Fade to Black, speaking openly and asking the audience to stay alive because, and he quotes James Hetfield, I love you, which was just very sweet. And I agree. Just James telling the audience, I want you all to stay alive, fight to stay alive, fight through whatever you're struggling with because he loves them. Yeah. That's I awesome. love that. Well, Ted, man, you are a man of amazing, incredible words. And you're from Oceanside, so that's cool. Just south of where I used to live. Where is that? Just south of Southern California? That's North San Diego County. So that's, you know, where I used to live in San Clemente. You drive down 20 minutes, you're in Oceanside. And I hope Ted is eating Pedro's Tacos down there, because that's my favorite Mexican place that I miss dearly. Ship me mm. out some burritos, dude. Some fish tacos. Well, that's the emails. It's as simple as that. You write in to show at gmail.com. You clickety-clack your Metalla thoughts. We will, daddy and daddy too. We're both daddies. That's right. Uh, the daddies over here will read them on the show. Tens of thousands of people from all over the world will hear your thoughts. And uh, you'll be immortalized on the uh, digital you know, airwaves of the podcast land. It's Correct. as simple as that. Easy. All right, period. Uh, you're going to hear a commercial for Patreon. Then we're going to talk about this 30th anniversary gig. Let's go. Hey everyone, Clinton Ethan here, and we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slane Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years' worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little. Yellow. Different. I love that that's in our show. I never tire of that. It just makes me so happy. Little. Yellow. Different. (laughs) Certain letters are tough to do, like D's. Different. Wow, man. Dang. (laughs) So creepy. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, let's burn this down. All right, so everyone knows the score. Everyone knows the deal. These were the 30th anniversary shows. They, you know, uh, they were in a club, the Fillmore in San Francisco, a celebration of 30 years of the band. We burnt down the first two nights, and now we're going to burn down the third. Openers were, how do you say it? Laz Rocket? Laz Rocket? I think it's Laz Rocket. Laz Rocket, old thrash metal band from the Bay Area. Yeah. The Soul Rebels brass band also played once again. I'm guessing that they did the Jim Brewer stuff, the trivia, mm-hmm. gave out a toaster. And we don't have clips on this episode. We tried to find the clips. This is the hardest show to like find good good like footage of for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why, but um which I've found every song, but it's just scattered and not a lot of in-between song stuff, which is kind of where the fun stuff is, is like how they're relating to each other on stage and like, that was tough to find, stuff. you're right. Which by the way, we are playing the Fillmore on this Morgan Wade tour. I'm stoked. Yeah, we'll Can't be on wait. that stage, yeah. 
so let's just get into the set list. Great set list. Um, some of my some of my favorite choices, actually. Maybe we can talk about where we would put this show. I guess we should rank the shows once we're all done. Yeah, we probably should. But they opened every show with an instrumental. So this one they opened with Suicide and Redemption. It's pretty dicey. Mm-hmm. And I, we talked about this earlier, but James comes out on the drums and he's playing the double, you know, the machine gun part. And he's <laughs> trying to get Lars out there. Lars comes out and he's like still putting clothes on. Yeah. And James is like, what are you doing? Why Why aren't you dressed? You right. Know? Yeah. I wonder if it was one of those situations where like, obviously there's like a, you know, hit, here's the hard set time. You guys are going out this time. And then all of a sudden that set time hit and Lars is still not ready yet. Yeah. And James's energy is, um, it's not all bad. It's like, I think some of that energy was like, he was excited to play. Yeah, but then he does get a little annoyed. Lars comes out and says, "How are we going to top Wednesday night?" Which is his second show. He talks about Lou Reed. Yeah, you know they were really just on the Lou Reed thing. I don't think a lot of people in the crowd felt that way, but probably not. And so Lars is like asking, like, "Is it a four count or an eight count?" They can't really get on the same page. They do a false start, which isn't great, but everyone everyone will forgive a false start, right? You get to see that they're human. You, it makes you feel like the show's kind of special. Then they do a second false start, <laughs> which is. Fool me once. <laughs> and Lars is kind of hamming it up and talking about the count again. And James literally is like, let's get on with this shit. Yeah. And I mentioned it earlier in the episode, but it's like, daddy's mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Papa don't like that. He's playing the white snake bite, Kirk on the mummy. The crowd sings that that hook part, which I, I liked hearing that. Mm-hmm. It's a really great song. Yeah, it's really fun, man. I, I I don't spend enough time with it. I need to. I, need I don't to either. Revisit that a couple more times. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, why well, don't I listen to this more? <laughs> right. It's only the second time they've ever played it, and it's worth watching the first time they played it. They played it on the World Magnetic Tour. I can't remember where. Did I write down where? I did write down. They debuted it uh, on July 27th, 2009, in Copenhagen. Very cool. And it is a really good performance. They they nail it. They pull it off. And there's a moment after the kind of long middle section. When they go back into the ba bum bum like the main hook, and James just looks so excited that they nailed it. Yeah, yeah. It's worth it's worth investigating that. It's really good. All right. For sure. Moving right along and do a little song called Master of Puppets. Mm, I've heard of it. Uh other than S and M, you're not really gonna see this song that often at the top of a set. Oh, for sure. It's kinda like they did Inner Sandman pretty quick on one of the other shows too. Mm-hmm. Kind of continuing with being a little off on on the cues. The bam 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 bam. They're kind of off. Yeah. I mean, the overall vibe of all four of these shows is a lot of looseness. Even on songs that they've played 100,000 times. Yeah, it's just, they're such a fascinating band, you know? Like, we've talked about how the tempos change. Usually usually when the band changes tempos, they do it together. It's amazing, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're the only people who've been playing this music together for 30 years at this point. Right. But for them to be off on the hits is like, just a little bit of a head scratcher. I'm not knocking them. They're my favorite metal band ever. I love the band, but it is just interesting to note, like, man, they're not synced up on that. Yeah, and for it makes sure. me wonder if, like, you know, some people. I think I have this a little bit. Like, some people's personalities can like kind of weigh heavy in a room, can mm-hmm. kind of change the structure of, or the feeling of a room. I wonder if James getting annoyed at the top of the show kind of put a little bit of a weird up, up tightness into the dynamic. Maybe so, yeah. And that, and that maybe they were needing a few songs to kind of get over that and start having fun because it i don't know if like lars is rushing those cues because he's he knows james is a little annoyed yeah but but james hates it when shit goes wrong so it's like then they start the problem just exacerbates because then they kind of mess up the hits on puppets and then james is like not digging that either you know yeah yeah oh for sure especially on a song like that which they should have that obviously nailed every night crowd sings the guitar mini part which i love 
Oh yeah. And just a testament to how great their melodies are, even when they're not singing. Right. Mm -hmm. We get a really enthusiastic and pretty funny pancakes go. (laughs) And that's actually, I think the pancakes go moment, honestly, is when James kind of loosens up and and decides I want to have a good time. Okay, good. Yeah. It's actually kind of cool. You can kind of see it happen. Right. Then they play shockingly to me. I love anytime they play this song, they play injustice for all. Hell yeah. Which very ambitious song, obviously. James says, can you name that riff? And they start playing it. I wrote, the vocals are generally better tonight because we've been kind of hard on the vocals. Mm-hmm. And at least so far by Justice, I was clocking that the vocals were feeling feeling good. Good, good. I don't know why. I don't know if he you know, had his tea and honey that day or got, <laughs> got some good sleep. I don't know what, what goes into that. And I actually wrote in my notes that the band sounds great in general. So I'm giving some good notes to this. Cool. That's awesome. Then they go into a Wolf and Man, awesome black album D cut. I wrote nice treat with a deep cut. I like reading my old thoughts because I did this like a you know a couple weeks ago. Yeah, same. I have the, the guitar sound great. The turnaround hook reminds me of a kiss riff. I wonder what I'm talking about there. Mm. Turnaround hook reminds Oh, down 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 down. Bump ba ba bump 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 down down. That yeah. part. Or is it the turnaround where where they kind of uh, cut that main riff now where it goes dun Maybe that. No, I'm specifically talking about the da 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 down down. Okay. Okay. Cool. It sounds like a hook, and there's a song called uh, Come On and Love Me by Kiss. All right. Come on and love me. You know that song? I don't think so. Go check it out. Let's just actually pause. You can go listen to it, and then we'll reevaluate. All right. I'll be right back. All right. What do you think? Dude, that was fucking killer. And you're yeah. right. It totally sounds like the turnaround. Uh, my last note for of Wolf and Man, solid all around. Okay. So I'm digging this show, apparently. I watched the second half this morning, so I'll have a little more, have more fresh ears because I watched it okay. in anticipation of this episode. All right. And I would also like to say to all of you listeners out there, I hope you're maybe watching some of this before you listen to this episode so you can kind of have it fresh in your world. Yeah, for sure. They're great shows to dip into. The energy's strange, but in that way almost, it makes it even more interesting. And they're just it's just a very unique night. I mean, they've they've only done something like that one time. They didn't do any of that for the 40th. So next they do fade to black. And you know, it's curious to me when James does this, but he's playing it on that MIDI guitar. So he's playing that line six acoustic. And this is before he, you know, he ended up writing the Unforgiven two lyrics on it. Yeah, Black Heart, Scarring, Darker. Still, he, you know, it's interesting. He wrote that lyric, and you know, he has a big "Where the Wild Things Are" tattoo on his ribs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he totally does. Says all children touch the sun, burn fingers yeah. one by one. How about that? Pretty badass. How about the reload love? Uh, but this is before he he wrote all that shit on it. But you know, it's interesting because it turns from a the intro is just acoustic, mm-hmm. then it turns into a twelve string, right? For the which verses, is the midi the midi part of it. That's really cool. I think. I think I like it when he just plays electric, like clean. Oh, that oh, that's definitely my favorite like version of fade to black when he just plays it on electric. But yeah, the fact that he's able to have it a normal acoustic sound into a 12, 12 string sound to make it, I guess, more period correct is I think is a cool cool technology for sure. But yeah, I do love the that classic great James clean tone playing that intro and then the A minor part too. I watched him kick the shit out of that guitar on stage. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> It was there with that talk about a moment where 50,000 people went, uh oh, daddy's mad. <gasps> Collective gasp of 40,000 people. He couldn't because they were down half a step and it was like, you know, he would hit the A. Him and Kirk like started it together, but they were out of tune because the mm-hmm. guitar was tuned. The MIDI was fucked up. Yeah. And almost like the second false start in Suicide and Redemption, Chad came out and like beep, bop, boop, bop, hit, hit some buttons on it. And he was like, cool. Then they go and they started again and it was still bad. Ugh. And James goes, you guys ever seen the movie Spinal Tap? 
well, you're watching it again right now. <laughs> and everyone laughed, right? Like, pop ahead. Like, yeah. ha he's he's conquered his anger issues, right? And then he kicked the fucking shit out of that guitar, and it flew, went flying. <laughs> and that's when everyone went, oh, I think he maybe still has a little bit of an anger problem. I mean, listen, I... I as as uh you know people have been touring for a long time none of us like when things go wrong of course no but when something quick and minor goes wrong with james he can usually laugh it off make a spinal tap joke in this case right but when it gets real bad he kicks the guitar over or when his mic wasn't on at the grammys with lady gaga he he threw his guitar real hard over to chad he was mad real mad that was a big fuck up though huge fuck up i mean he i mean in the moment you couldn't quite tell he was that mad until the very tail end when the camera's cutting away. But in the moment, he he did the pro thing. He shared a mic with her, and it made for this really special moment, right? He, now, Daddy was not happy. No, everyone was like, oh, Dad's mad. Here's what's amazing about that Gaga performance and his mic getting fucked up and then him and her sharing that moment. It's exhibit A, as if anyone needed evidence, but I would point anyone to that of this guy is a fucking killer. Yeah, for sure. This guy is a clutch killer. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he didn't panic. He didn't freak out. He went and found a microphone. Probably couldn't hear himself very well in it. Who even knows how much of that mic was in his ears? Right. And he's singing in key. He turned it into this cool performance. He gets in her face. Like, that was like Jordan wanting the ball with, like, they're down by two. There's two seconds left. Right. He wanted the ball because he knew that if, if we're going to land this thing, I'm going to be the motherfucking killer that does it. Exactly. And th- that's what I see when I see that performance. Yeah, same. I'm like, this dude fucking knows what to do in a clutch moment. It's really <laughs> impressive. <laughs> right. That he didn't freeze or whatever, you know? Yeah. Okay, next up, the thing that should not be. My first note, heavy. Hell yeah. Wrote there's pretty funny screaming in the middle. Cool flanger outro. This song was played 11 times on the World Magnetic Tour. 11 times, okay. They were giving it some love in the late aughts there. But that's largely a song that's just gone away. And that's that would be at the top of my list, one of the top songs of like deep cuts I would like to see them mm-hmm. investigate more. I, I do wonder with, with with this whole two two nights, two unique sets on them, right. 72 tour, if, we, if they'll start to throw in stuff like that again. Because that would be awesome. I wouldn't be mad. I think it's going to be real similar to the, the two, you know, didn't they do that recently? Didn't they do like two unique sets of those Danny Wimmer uh, shows? Exactly, yeah, those shows. Yep, totally. All right, next up, one of my favorites ever, I Disappear. Great harmonic intro, James playing the White Iron Cross, which isn't my favorite guitar, but it's kind of growing on me a little bit, actually. Yeah. I just, he never plays the Black Iron Cross anymore. Yeah, he doesn't. I haven't seen that in a long time. No, and it's, well, you know, it's sad. It's weird to call this sad. So, St. Anger era, he's playing the his Gibson, Uncle Milty. A yeah. lot. The original Iron Cross. Yeah. And I just love it. It's a seven it's a black seventies custom with the like gold hardware that he put the Iron Cross on. He put a racing stripe on it. And it's in like the St. Anger video, the frantic video. I don't I don't know why he was jamming on that guitar so much in that era. But then L T D or ESP made him like um a relic or a replica of it. Yeah. And so then anytime you see him afterwards, he's playing and don't get me wrong, ESP is a great guitar company. But I'm like, oh man, play that Gibson, baby. I know, totally. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's just a chilling at HQ or maybe it's maybe it's in some museum with other gear of theirs. I don't know. Man, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he was like, I don't want to take this on the road. I remember on the Worldwire tour and he was playing that. It was just like a normal kind of burst Les Paul that had a Bigsby on it. Yeah. He was playing that on Creeping Death. Right. I got to talk to, I got to, me and Paul got to like look at all James' guitars with Chad. So cool. At Bridgestone. And I was like, what, you know, what is this like a, uh, you know, a 59, is this a cool Les Paul? 
And Chad was like, no, it's probably like a 2018. <laughs> right. I was like, wow, that's actually kind of fascinating. Yeah, but he did have that um, that Carina Explorer on the road. It's like a 58 or something. Yeah. Well, he's a big collector. Right. He, he collects Gibsons and shit. Mm-hmm. You know who else is a huge Les Paul collector that you might not guess? Slash. Paul, Stan- Paul Stanley. <laughs> oh, really? That's interesting. Because he's always played the Iceman guitars, either made by, I know Washburn made at one point, Ibanez. I've never seen him not play that Iceman on a Kiss show. Right. You can watch it <laughs> if you're interested. Um, I'm interested in things like this. You can watch sound checks with Kiss where he in a sound check he's usually playing a Les Paul. That's cool. Or if they ever post like them rehearsing before a tour, rocking a fifty eight or a fifty nine. Well, you know what the, the the consistency of playing an Iceman is called professionalism. He knows that people want to for real. He he knows that people yeah. want to see that guitar. You know, I, I agree. And secondly, I mean, how badass is the Iceman? Oh, it's super cool, I, dude. I remember when 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 I had a very brief endorsement with Washburn, they were making an Iceman. He went to Washburn for a minute. Yeah, and I'm not even like a massive Kiss fan, but I remember thinking like, man, that'd be a really cool guitar to have. Well, you know, the original one, so if people don't know, the Iceman is a cracked mirror. It's pointy like an Explorer, but it's got its own thing. But it's yeah. a cracked mirror. And the very, you know, Kiss were like the kings of DIY. They, their makeup, their outfits, they made all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Because they were poor Brooklyn kids. Yep. He made that Iceman. And because he made it, it's like really crude. And like the the glass that he made it with, like when they make an Iceman now, they like sand it all down and shit. It's it does it won't cut you. Yeah. But his original Iceman, it was like jagged fucking glass, like actual pieces of mirror. And his it's he calls it the PS one, the Paul Stanley one. It's like yeah, it's pieces of mirror, and there's like in all the cracks that he made is blood. I'm sure. I'm sure he cut himself all the time on that thing. Do you remember Guitar World magazines? They would come with a poster. Oh yeah. And it would usually either be like a band, and then the other side would be a, a guitar. Yeah. And I had there was a great photo of one of the of the PS one, and you could see the blood in it. Yeah, I had that in my that was in my fucking room growing up. That's so cool. I love that. I'm amazing. I'm telling amazing stories today. Uh, we'll get to Kid <laughs> Rock soon. All right, the lower octave. I'm gone section. So yeah, you know the I'm gone bridge. He kind of he kind of bags out of that. Does a lower version, which is fine. I get it. Right. But I did say great performance, great song. Then they do the outlaw torn. What's odd about this? They played it a lot in 2004. Also, obviously it was on. Uh, spoiler alert, Ethan, it was on SNM. Really? Okay, copy that. But on this performance and in the 2004 performances, if you go look those up, they put a really weird effect on his voice hmm. where it's like a um, it's like a pitch. They're trying to make it, because on the recording, they ha- it has that. Yeah. It's like a fifth or a third. It's like a creepy sounding pitch, like a harmonizer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But live, it's weird. It doesn't really track. It's like, you know, you can set those to a certain key. Yeah, or to a certain chord, and they'll kind of move with the notes. But the outlaw torn vocal melody is actually kind of strange, and it doesn't track well, and it's kind of weird sounding. That's yeah. my only criticism of that. Another interesting thing he says he changes one of the lyrics to instead of uh, "one who seeks, so I may find," mm-hmm. he says "one who cheats, so I may find." Oh, okay, interesting. I wonder what prompted that. I don't know if maybe it was like a brain fart or if he's d- dealing with stuff or it's a very emotive performance. The, yeah. You know, when he talk, when he does the whole lyrics about, uh, you know, the more I bless, the more I, you know, whatever I need or whatever, he's like making gestures of praying. He's covering his eyes. When he says, uh, you make me smash the clock and feel I'd rather die behind the wheel or whatever, he does like a, he, like a really animated, like cutthroat gesture. Yeah. I love when James does that stuff. He's just, he, I, I've, I submit to you and to our listeners that he's very in touch with the lyrics of this era. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, Fight Fire with Fire, he's just singing some badass nuclear shit. 
Yeah, right. But Outlaw Torn, he's like changing up the lyrics. He's like acting out some of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. He's his eyes are closed. He's very pensive. Motherfucker's yeah. feeling it. I love that. Love. It I so can much. feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. That never gets old either. One more time. I can feel it. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Let's hear it again. How about the longer version? <laughs> dude if he felt it if someone ever had a contact for that dude i would love to have him on a turn the page episode <laughs> like dude let's talk about hunt summer nights now <laughs> oh my god we're like could you feel it <laughs> did you feel it back then when you were in the studio <laughs> hey man thank you so much for coming like what an honor it is to have you i just i want to start off like when you said that in that song, could you really feel it? Do you remember when you said, I can feel it t- twice? <laughs> was that improvisational or did you write that loud? Were you that- really feeling it in that moment? Okay. I love James's swell solo in that while torn. He does that first like, which yeah, sounds love exactly that. like it, by the way. I did write, this is one of the strongest vocal performances of all the 30th anniversary shows that I've seen. So that's good. Good. Strangely, the live Metallica like official audio not as good as the uh, fan camera audio. Okay, interesting. They like cleaned it up too much or something. They like made it too clean. I don't I don't know how to describe that. A little too good. Um, it's too good. Maybe I can feel it. <laughs> they do the outlaw jam at the end, which is fun. It's basically just a lot of James riffing and soloing. So if you like James's soloing, which we all love on puppets and nothing else matters, uh, he does a lot of kind of pentatonicy jamming and ripping yeah. and soloing and it looks like he's having a real good time yeah that's awesome this is the only the 13th performance of the outlaw torn the last time they played it was october 9th 2004 in albany new york you ever notice shawnee sword says albany albany yeah i've always called it albany albany same here yeah tony lacito who's from who's from there calls it albany right well he might be an authority on that subject true next they debut helen back which is my favorite beyond magnetic song and james says that it's his favorite beyond magnetic song interesting okay this is not going to surprise anyone, but Lars is a little off on the hits in the intro. I'm not trying to bag on Lars. I'm, he's my homeboy. There, I, I will say this too. I've probably brought this up before, but there was this era kind of post-Saint Anger up until maybe, I mean, through the Death Magnetic era for sure, where, where Lars's timing was just really all over the map live. It was probably, you know, half adrenaline or I don't know the other reasons, but in a lot of stuff like that, or even I'm thinking of like, the intro to Creeping Death on that da 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 ba 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 He would rush that second one. He'd do like a ba 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 Like do it way too fast. And sometimes the band couldn't follow that quick or I'm thinking of a I'm thinking of a white powdery substance. Um, but I don't know the name of it. I'm trying to think like sugar, wheat gluten, um Exactly, right. Baking flour, yeah. Baking soda. Baking soda, that's what I was thinking of. That's what it makes you play faster. It really does. James on the white snake bite. Killer main riff. I fucking love this song. I really love it. And I think this is post-load, reload. This is a, one of those songs where he was writing deep inside. Mm-hmm. I, mean, this, I think this song is about sobriety. I think this song is about... he travel. From what I know, he travels with some of his AA-type like accountability partners. Right, yeah. Keep him out of trouble. And there's just, you know, there comes a point in the night when even those guys got to go to bed. Sure. The Dark Night of the Soul stuff. I think that's what this song is about, going to hell and back. He says after the song, he says... For those of you who've been to hell and back, because you keep thinking it's the right place to be. Yeah, yeah. So it's just nice to see 
I mean, it's not nice that he's going through that, but I, you know, I like when he writes that kind of material. Yeah, me too. A lot of the material on Death Magnetic is kind of nebulous and hard to understand how he's feeling. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, they're, it's good. I love it. But other than like the drop the hourglass of time part, um, what's that in? Is that an end of the line? Drop the hourglass of time. Yeah, that's in the line. We will not find. Yeah. Slave becomes the master. Exactly. And then I think Judas Kiss is pretty deep, you know, this the the idea of the betrayal, right? You know, mm-hmm. Jesus betraying Judas with a kiss and someone you thought was close to you letting you down. But you know, my apocalypse and that was just your life and <laughs> right, cyanide. Yeah. It's like I don't Oh, Unforgiven Three, too. Unforgiven Three's got that that, 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 one, that one's deep. His nice uh, maritime uh boat out at sea vibes Mm -hmm. i love a good good maritime rock song (laughs) me too okay uh, this is my last submission before you take over i know the audience is ready to hear from you all right just you know begging me not to talk about kid rock anymore okay blitzkrieg this is one of the songs where they have the met clubber come up this is joseph uh, i'm not gonna try to say his last name starts with a g what i liked about this is you can see a young avi vinegar in the shot that I saw when they're giving this guy Joseph the guitar, they give him like a, a badass looking uh, ESP, like a Clips Les Paul. Yeah. But you see like a, you know, a 2011 Avi Vinegar uh, looking straight out of like a, like he was in the band Rooney. Ooh, awesome. <laughs> and he's just sort of hanging out by one of the amps. It's pretty funny. I took a picture of it and sent it to him. That's awesome. He starts the chug riff at the top and it's really good. Like he, he's playing it really well and you can see James get excited. Because mm-hmm. you know there are these moments where you're like, where you're like, oh, I hope this guy doesn't suck. You know, I hope this isn't a bunch of bullshit. Right. You know what James probably thought of that moment. I can feel it. I can feel it. <laughs> I think he could feel it. You know, I he just could think feel when you it. feel it, you shout that you feel it, and then everyone knows you feel it, and then everyone feels it. And when you feel it, you feel it. Well, that's why you say it twice. That's just that's just science. Well, because when he shouts, I can feel it. Here's what's happening in that control room, in that vocal booth. Is he said, I can feel it, and everyone kind of was like, hell yeah, right on, dude. And then he thought, I don't know if you really are taking this as seriously as I mean it. I'm going to shout it a second time. And then everyone like perked up and went, you know what? I think he really does feel it. I think he means that shit. Yeah, because he said it twice. <laughs> Let's hear it again. I can feel it. I can feel it. <laughs> it just doesn't get old, man. All right, he starts the chugs. James feels it. He's having fun. I did write, you know, you hipped me to this years ago on this podcast. The lyrics, let us have peas, let us have rice. <laughs> let us have peas. That's just what it sounds like. <laughs> it's really sweet. The band is really taking a lot of time, like performance time, to go kind of rock with the the Met Clubber. Yeah. You know what I mean? He seems kind of stiff. He's playing good, but he seems wigged out. I mean, he's just shook James Hetfield's hand and now he's playing Blitzkrieg, you know, his heroes. Yeah, it's crazy. And he's definitely focusing on like trying to play it well. Pretty fast song, a lot of chuggies, a lot, oh, yeah. of, a lot of down picking, which this dude's got a great right hand doing some great down picking. But the band's kind of coming over and getting in his face and rocking with him and trying to loosen him up. It's kind of sweet. It's a sweet yeah, moment. That's awesome. I wrote Joseph has some serious down picking. Really great performance. One of the best of the night. And thus endeth my thus endeth me being the Sherpa. I've gotten you halfway up the mountain. I'm going to tag team Ethan Luck here, who I think can feel it. He can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I'm ready to take you down the other side of the mountain. Let's go, baby. All right, let's go. Well, so second half of the set, we start with Bells, which features a one Jerry Cantrell on rhythm guitar. And uh, Rob did a really sweet intro to Jerry. Talked about, you know, he's one of our favorite guitar players, songwriters, one of our favorite bands. 
Of course, he's speaking of Alice in Chains. And Jerry looks real chill. You know, he, it's, yeah. it's nothing crazy. He's he's just playing the rhythm. You know, he didn't join in on the lead parts, nothing like that. But he's having a good time. I unfortunately don't have a ton of amazing, flattering things to say about the second half of the set. I mean, right off the bat, I mean, they're playing this <laughs> way too fast. Bells is a song that needs to lay back, as we, yeah. as we all know, right? Yeah. So they were, they were definitely not feeling it. Um, but it was loose and fun. They were having a good time. You know, it feels um, like a missed opportunity to not have Jerry like doing more than playing the rhythm, or like sing the second verse or something like that. I mean, we come back to Jerry later in the set, of course. But I mean, this this one in particular, it's like, man, take that second verse, Jerry. Jerry's looking pretty cool. You know, he comes back two more times actually. Oh yeah, for sure. Jerry's looking real cool. His hair's a lot shorter in this era and stuff like that. But um, they're having a good time. But so Jerry stays on stage, and then they do a great version of of Nothing Else Matters. Um. Not everybody's sounding great, unfortunately, but James is playing on the stool. Jerry's on the stool next to him, and Jerry's not playing guitar. He's just singing, and he's hitting all these all these harmonies. You know, um, it's cool because it, it's it's cool because you hear it's like hearing what if you know nothing else matters sounded like Alice in Chains. That's the sound of Alice in Chains. Is his is a lot of his harmonies come in. It's like one hundred percent. The sound of Alice is like his kind of unique harmony choices. Yeah, even if you go back and watch, I think it was uh, Rock Am Ring. It was one of the first year or two, years or two that, that Alison Chains was back with William Duvall and James comes out and does wood with him. Yeah. James is singing the verse, Jerry's doing the harmonies, and it's like, man, it still sounds like Alison Chains because it's Jerry. Yeah. Kirk is pretty sloppy on the intro, unfortunately. That plankety, fretting out kind of tone he has. Um, Such but, a head scratcher. Yeah, it's it's super weird. Um, I hadn't seen this performance in a long time, and I was expecting, like they used to do it live, the band would fully kick in on james's solo but they come in on the second verse which is really cool jerry is just the highlight on this for me man i'm, I'm as he, we both are we're such massive fans of his and allison chains and his guitar playing and singing he really made it for me man i could have i could have done with this song just the two of them the whole time yeah like no no band comes in they just do it like that kind of wish J- jerry would have sang a verse because i mean you're yeah. basically doing four the same verses you know so yeah man nothing else matters is really repetitive it's wild though, because even sometimes when it comes on in the car, whatever, I still don't notice it until I'm in, until I remind myself, I'm like, oh yeah, it's just repeating the whole time. Well, you know why he repeated all the verses because he was feeling it. I can feel it. I can feel it. <laughs> I'm just gonna push that every time the word feeling it comes up. <laughs> Moving on, we get the song "So What." Questionable lyrics, of course. Um, Animal from Anti Nowhere League comes out on vocals. Who? I got to say, one of my notes is, and and like you, this is funny to reread these a couple weeks later. My first note is, Animal is dot, 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 something. Yeah, he's an interesting character. Very interesting character. And I feel like he he's selling the lyrics so well, I can't tell if he really believes in this stuff. <laughs> I know. Or it really happened to him. <laughs> or he's just selling it that well, and he's a good actor. Um, because he Animal, every crazy like non-pc line basically he's like doing the gesture where he says i sucked an old man's cock he's straight up doing this with the microphone like a, a blowjob gesture and he's committed very I'll give committed. him that i really dug the did you notice the flying v that james was playing like it was kind of this subtle burst it I was like a tobacco burst really cool it's one you rarely see him play yeah i thought that too i did i did think that i really dug that um but, you know, outside of animals, you know, phallic gestures and stuff like that, I mean, I thought the band sounded really good. They were having fun. He was a, a really good front man in that moment. You can yeah. tell he was super excited to be there. Obviously, I'm, I'm guessing very thankful that Metallica covered his song and made it more popular than he ever thought it would be. Probably made him a good, a good chunk of change. Overall, I thought it was a really good performance. Yeah. 
Now, the next one, Tuesday's Gone, we have Gary Rostington on, uh, from Leonard Skinner on guitar, Pepper Keenan on vocals and guitar, Jerry Cantrell's back again on guitar, and Jim Martin from Faith No More on guitar, who, if you remember what he looks like back then, looks nothing like this now. Yeah, he. I was wondering who it was. I had to look it up, because I was like, who's yeah. this guy over there by Kirk? And it was Jim Martin. Dude, one of my first notes is, Jim Martin looks like a a, a fictional NASCAR fan. <laughs> like it, like if you had you had a, an extra behind Will Ferrell and Talladega Nights, it would look like what Jim Martin looked like on on stage. Like wow. I think he I think he even had like sunglasses on the back of his head and stuff like that. I think Tuesday's Gone's kind of it starts rough, really rough. Yeah, that's that's another who is note. that starting it? Is that Gary doing the slide? It's, it's Gary and Pepper doing it because Kirk Kirk's playing like a twelve string acoustic, yeah. which sounds pretty good, right? But, but it's man, no, it's it's Gary and Pepper doing it at first. It's like oh man, this is not great and it's tough to tell who it, it, it honestly sounds like when you mess up at guitar hero or something <laughs> they settle into it and it's like okay cool i mean the song is just so good but yeah i i couldn't get through the whole performance i i kind of bagged out on it yeah i watched the whole thing um when i was making these notes um pepper keenan i thought vocally did a pretty good job i love his voice but he he's got some soul to his voice i often forget that he's like a new orleans dude oh yeah and by the way he has a uh a bar down new orleans we should go to next time i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but he actually tells a, a funny story about how the um, soul rebels brass band play at his bar all the time and i did this is one of the few like in between song little things you know that i could find online and he didn't know about them doing the 30th anniversary shows because i don't think pepper had gotten the call yet and so one day the soul rebels brass band hit him up said hey can we come down to the bar during the day and rehearse and he's like yeah go ahead and one of his bar managers called Pepper and said, hey, the Soul Rebels are down here. He's like, yeah, I know. He's like, they're just playing a bunch of Metallica songs. He's like, what? <laughs> and then, like, he still didn't know. Then he got the call to do it. Still didn't know they were going to do it until he got to San Francisco and realized, oh, my buddies are doing it, too. <laughs> wow. And he makes a joke. He said, Metallica stole my house band. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. But I, I need to look up what his bar is called again. It'd be fun to go grab a beer at Pepper Keenan's bar. Yeah. It's just called Pepper Keenan's mischievous house of misadventures and fun it's a really catchy name yeah it rolls right off the tongue <laughs> easy to remember um we got jerry taking the third verse i thought he sounded really good the choruses are pretty loose um the last course i think they kind of settle in a little bit um but overall it's 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 a to me it's as loose as like the garage ink version it's kind of like okay i mean it's cool to see everybody kind of doing their thing but i don't know i felt like it could have been way tighter and cooler but i was stoked that pepper took a verse and jerry took a verse i thought that was pretty yeah. rad yeah um, then we get to Fuel. We have Jason coming out on bass. Uh, the song, this is, we talk about them speeding up songs a lot. This is ungodly faster than the original. It's pretty Isn't wild. Isn't it weird that Jason chose Fuel? Yeah, I mean, the, the, normally, like, the, you know, after this, he does Fight Fire with Fire. But um, Well, he was, I feel like most of the songs he was choosing were, like, the big thrashy ones. Fight Fire, Damage Inc. He did choose Harvester of Sorrow. Right. But Creeping Death. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't super up on the load reload era. I don't know why he chose fuel. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Um, other than it being too fast, I thought it was cool. Jason and Rob were doing BGVs together. They the harmony cool. sounded great. Yeah. They really sounded cool. Um, but the song just kept getting faster. Like every time they went to the halftime part and they would go back into double time, it was like, oh my God, they keep going and going. And I thought Kirk sounded really good on the lead stuff on this tune. Yeah. I'm just always, I mean, fuel's not a song I put, like choose to put on. I just... I'm going to put on other Metallica songs first. Sure. But anytime I hear Fuel, I'm like, man, this is one of their best. Like, oh, yeah. It's just such a great song. Like, just Hook City. The main riff is awesome. The lyrics are 
really cool. The imagery is good. The pace of it. It's just one of their best songs. It really is, man. And, and such a great live tune as well. Moving on to Fight Fire with Fire. Jason's still on bass. Jason is looking cool, hanging out by Lars in the back. Eventually joins Kirk on some BGVs, which is, which is great. He's still kind of showing that Jason passion for like heavy music. And like you can tell it's because remember night one, he was like really kind of almost yeah. off putting in a way. Like just, yeah. It took him a while to come up to the front of the stage. Um, but uh, this one, I actually tapped out the BPM because it was playing so fast. So the, the album BPM of Fight Fire with Fire is, is 107, or if you want to double that, whatever. Yeah. Li- live 132. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. So, what, yeah, what is that? That's uh, 25 BPM faster. Man, that's a lot. It was it was pretty wild. I was thinking during the song, I was like, you know what? It reminded me of um, after we had done our Rain and Blood episode, where we we more or less were like, yeah, we get why it's a thrash masterpiece, but not really for yeah. us, right? Yeah. And sometime after that episode, Brad Blazik, who's a huge Slayer fan, was staying at my house, and we were hanging out in my living room, and I have Rain and Blood on vinyl, and we he was like, man, we should listen to it on vinyl, like he was like, come on, man, you need it, you got to give it up more for Rain and Blood. Yeah. And we listened to it, and it. I, it was a different experience. I enjoyed it more, like with him listening to vinyl instead of like scrutinizing it for the podcast. Right. But then it ended, and I was like, I'm going to put a song on right now, and that I think is just going to smoke this whole thing, and it's going to hang with as fast and brutal as this is. And I put on Ride the Lightning, and I put it, I dropped the needle on Fight Fire with Fire. Mm-hmm. I think Fight Fire with Fire is like their their big thrash statement, like barky lyrics, pummelingly fast. Oh yeah, for sure. And with a great hook, it's like battery, like fire, fire with fire, gun, 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 gun. you know, it's like, that's just yeah. a great hook. Battery has that too, you know? Oh yeah. Can I kill the family? Battery is found in it. So they did what Slayer could never do is where they're, it's as brutal as anything on Rain and Blood, in my yes. opinion, in terms of speed and like, it's heavy and scary, but they were able to put hooks into it. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's where I, where I think Metallica stands above the rest of them is that, yeah. Metallica can take something that is in in kind of the the family of Slayer, a distant cousin or something, yeah. but then make it a catchy song. It's just brutal. Fight Fire is a brutal thrash. Brutal song. song. And most thrashy Slayer songs. I mean, the vocals are this. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. Thank you, Tom Araya. What if that was Tom Araya who recorded that? It would be amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's like, I have this side project. It's a little different than what you guys are used to. Yeah, hear me out, Kerry King. Um, <laughs> uh, the only last note I have on Fight Fire with Fire was I thought the, the guitar harmony part on the bridge sounded really, really killer. Yeah, it was fun. Well, I mean, that's a fast part. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, remember that in summer of 2020 when we were just posting guitar videos a lot that summer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we ever did that one. Because we did a uh, we did guitar harmonies for a couple weeks, I think we did a lot though. We did what did we do? We did my friend in misery, in misery. Uh, we did um, puppet. We did puppet. I was one on death magnetic. We did. Um, we did that was just your life. That was fun. That was really fun. Because um, I remember it was it was we weren't working. Everything was still up in the air, and we had like you know you know a lot of our friends like, like you guys. I'm sure you had kind of like your COVID crew, right? Oh yeah. And we had some friends. Just it was literally two people. We're chilling in our backyard making some food. And then you would just, you know, text me like your video, and then I would go inside, record mine, and edit them go real quick. It took like ten minutes tops, and then we just post them. And those, yeah, a fun era of the podcast, man. It was fun. We should repost those videos. Yeah, that'd be fun for sure. Do you have them? Uh, they're probably on my phone somewhere. I guess. Um, I don't know if I d- deleted them to save space at the time because I wasn't on iCloud. I don't. I have no idea. I have to go look. 
Um, so moving on, this is where I think it kind of takes a bad turn, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh-oh. Old Glenn Danzig, a legend, Misfits, Danzig, Sam Hain, of course, he comes out. They do Die, Die, My Darling first. It's, of course, too fast, um, but but they're sounding good. They're having fun. You know, this is obviously whenever James isn't singing, he's just focused on guitar and having a good time. Glenn, unfortunately, sounds like somebody had a couple too many beverages and got on the karaoke stage to do this song. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? He, he can't keep the mic. You know, he, he kind of has this weird thing where he holds his mic. Like, yeah. But he holds it like with the back of his hand to the side. Yeah. It's the thing he's always done, which looks kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. But he just can't keep it against his mouth. He, he kind of does these like, you know, dah, 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 and then all of a sudden his vocals just gone because he like moves his arm. It's just super awkward. And he, it's so consistent that he does this. It was really frustrating. Does to he watch. do that at Misfit shows? Yeah, he does that. I mean, if you watch like the new Misfit shows, he kind of does that thing. He sounds a lot better at those. I mean, after remembering these shows and 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 then looking at YouTube footage of the of the current Misfit shows, I was like, oh boy, this is gonna be bad. And he actually sounds really good. I was watching it this morning and I was laughing out loud, not in a way of making fun of him. It's just so um, he's so intense, mm-hmm. you know, like he's just prowling the stage and he like he's headbanging and stuff. And the the band kind of looks scared of him a little bit. Like James is over <laughs> on stage, right? And like he's just definitely dropping entire verses. Yeah. And oh, yeah. James is like kind of co- James eventually starts just covering for him. Oh, dude, especially in Green Hell. Because it's like the fast F. And, you know, Glenn Danzig, to me, gets a pass forever because he wrote all those songs by himself. Oh, and totally. those songs are so funny and amazing and, like, energetic. Like, there's just nothing like him. And I love his Danzig solo, like, evil Elvis stuff. I love his commitment to the, sort of the silliness of the demonic stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, I, he just gets a pass for me forever. He's just one of the coolest dudes ever. But yeah, he his totally performance does. style is really strange. It's really interesting. And you, you, I mean, Sam Hain is the one era that I haven't really dipped into too heavy. But man, those first two Danzig records are really fucking cool. They're really cool, man. Like yeah. that slow, croony, dark stuff with like... Dude, Twist of Cain, uh, that... That's so fucking swaggery, man. I know. I, gotta, I, gotta, I need those two on final, by the way. But I was just laughing, dude, because he's, he's doing... Uh, you know, here goes your face, shut the devil to face, touch it, touch it. Oh, it's like, murder! <laughs> I have a note that says, that says he sounds like Cookie Monster's dad. <laughs> That's one of my notes for Alaska Rez. Here goes your devil to face, He loves that. On Last Caress, uh, Glenn last performed that with Metallica in 93 in Illinois. My my, my first note on his singing, he immediately sounds terrible. (laughs) Because he starts off, it's like, it's this weird cookie monstery voice and his mic is away from his mouth and back to his mouth. And my next note is, the leather vest might be a smidge too tight, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's it is he's tucked in there. It's really tucked in there. Um, it's, it's, his pitch isn't great. Um, he's forgetting lyrics. James did try to kind of harmonize at the end, which was kind of cool. But then same going into Green Hell, man. He's just forgetting the lyrics. James is covering for him. The band's real loose on that one. Yeah. Um, but James kind of saved him on that one. But at the end of the day, you're right. He gets a he gets a lifetime pass. I'm sure in the moment it was cool to see Glenn up there with the guys. You know, that's definitely a. Uh, a memorable moment in Metallica history for sure. Yeah. Got two more left here and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, this to me is, is one of the absolute highlights of the night. Rapid fire with Rob Halford on vocals. Very cool. Now, Rob, he, uh, played this with Metallica 94 in Miami. Um, 
when they were on tour together, I think that was just his band Halford, if, I, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. He sounded rad, and he's wearing like a tight and right suit. Looking good. Looking real good. <clears throat> Didn't do his normal, like, you know, all leather thing. Um, I thought the band sounded tight on this, and James seemed way more excited than when Glenn was up there. <laughs> um, but Rob's just a great singer, man. I, I, I only own one Juice Priest record on vinyl, and I had it on the other morning. I'm like, fuck, man, he's such a great singer. And even recently, uh, I think they got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this last year, and I saw some, like, leaked footage or whatever that was someone posted on Twitter or whatever, and fuck, if that guy doesn't sound great still, and he's, like, 70 years old. Yeah. Still can hit those high notes and just has that that good grit in his voice. So, what's the record that you have? I, I only have one. Two I have "Screaming for Vengeance." That's the one I have as well. Pretty good, yeah, great cover. I know the uh, I know British Steel is supposed to be that's like a must have. Yeah, and the other one I remember when I when I got "Screaming for Vengeance" on cassette when I was like in junior high or whatever. I think someone else back then gave me. Um, I think it's. I think that's called "I Can Feel It." I can feel it. I think you're right. I think the first song, if I remember, it kind of goes like. I can and there's another song. Uh, oh, it's Painkiller. That's the record. And it has this song. Oh, on. yeah. Yeah. That's actually Rob Halford singing that. Well, because he was, <laughs> it's called Painkiller because he's, you know, they're, they're like, they have, we administered enough anesthesia. And he's like, no, I can still feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. Well, you need painkillers, sir. Mr. Halford. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but man, that one was definitely one of the highlights. Like Rob Halford is just, he's one of their idols. It's one of the reasons they're a band is Judas Priest. It's a bit of a palate cleanser after the Danzig moment. It absolutely is. Then of course, like every show we get the ending of Seek and Destroy with everybody that was there on the night. Even old Glenn Danzig was back up there. Laz Rock was up there. <laughs> Animal was back up there. Can you imagine Animal and Glenn in the dressing room together? They're like, Hey, keep them, keep them away from each other. <laughs> exactly. I'd imagine animal offstage is similar to like when a WWE wrestler does an interview. I'm sure he starts it off. Hey, Glenn Danzig, brother, come here. You know, like yeah. he's probably always on 10, you know, or what if when they're, what if they're back there like sipping like Chianti and he's like, hello, uh, what's your name? Glenn Danzig. What's yours? Animal. They call me animal. You can pass the charcuterie, please. <laughs> what if they're just like the utmost gen- They're just both <laughs> British gentlemen backstage. Right. Exactly. That would be news if all of a sudden Glenn was British. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? He's been trolling us the whole time. Did you ever? Did you ever go uh, go see his house in L.A.? No. I know a lot of touring people that have. I don't think he lives there anymore. But it was like you can find pictures online of it. It was like the grass was all dead, and there was like a, a like a black iron fence in front. of It was like the house you expected him to live in. Yeah, I, I love it. Definitely Glenn Danzig, Glenn Danzig's house. <laughs> well, that does it for the second half of the set. We're down the mountain. We made it to the end. <sighs> feels good. Feels good to be done. It feels good, man. I, listen, I'm I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this podcast. I'm thankful that we get to talk about this stuff every week. And I just want to say that I love it and I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. <laughs> Let's let everybody get out of here so they can keep feeling their own thing, right? That's right. And uh, we'll see you guys on the flippity flop. Peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>